Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, January 10th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the 10-year anniversary of one of the most interesting stories in Star Wars Legends, Darth Plagueis. And joining me for that discussion is Slash Film news writer, Ryan Scott. Hey everyone, uh, very happy to be here today. A, a little more than usual, a little more than usual. Yeah, so, okay, you you teased this last week when you were on the podcast. I did. Uh, you, have a, you have a piece on Slash Home right now. Uh, if you are a Star Wars nerd, you're going to want to check this out. I have a link to it in the show notes, but we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about it. And if you aren't as nerdy about Star Wars as as we are... And honestly, like, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, Ryan, but I haven't read many of the books outside of, like, some of the newer stuff, the comic books in the Timothy Zahn, Heir to the Empire trilogy. Right. So this is something that I know about, but I haven't even read, but I know this is a thing that, I mean, outside of that trilogy that was originally going to be, like, you know, the, the sequel to, yeah, to yeah, the original yeah. trilogy. I think this is probably the the biggest book in Star Wars Legends. It's it's certainly one of and I think the thing about it is at least the reason I 
wanted to talk to tackle it for the 10th anniversary was like it's easily the most important story that technically hasn't been told uh you know in terms of like almost all of star wars if you really yeah. want to get into the context of it um and especially having just reread the book for the piece you know it is a radically important star wars story and i say that even as like if this story were adapted into another medium, I think even your slightly more casual fans would be way into, you know, w what's sort of being told here. Uh, so, okay, so, well, yeah. Let's let's tee this up for those casual fans that might not even remember Darth Plagueis and the mention in Revenge of the Sith. Who is Dark Darth Plagueis? Uh, so Darth Plagueis is uh, um, in 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 Star Wars lore. There is a very famous scene in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, in which Anakin is at the opera with Palpatine, and uh, and and Anakin is concerned about Padme dying. He's had these visions. He's worried, and uh, Palpatine sort of senses his moment to sort of swoop in, and he he regales Anakin with the the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, um, and uh, and and it's this idea that there was this this former Dark Lord Master that was uh, able to conquer death. And so Anakin becomes obsessed with the idea. This is how Palpatine ultimately lures him to be, you know, Darth Vader in the end. But we never really learn who Darth Plagueis is, even though it is heavily implied sort of in the context of the scene that, you know, Palpatine was was his apprentice. And and uh, but yeah, so that's who it is. But we never get told the story of who Darth Plagueis the Wise is until James Lucino until publishes this book in January of 2012. Uh, rewind. So when when you were younger and you were watching this movie in theaters, because when when I was watching it, and I was I heard the story of Darth Plagueis. To me, it read as Palpatine was making something up to to lure Interesting. Anakin in. I I didn't actually believe that like it was his, you know, Sith Master or whatever. You know, I, interesting. But you see, that, what was your reading back then? I guess for me, well, I was a little younger. So let's see. So it's in 2006. I was, what was I? Six. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. I was a teenager, I guess. But but um, <laughs> I was like 17 years old, I think. But the idea is that, like, for me, I sort of took it as like he definitely knew something. I don't know at that moment that I interpreted that, you know, like it was. Um, like sit, uh, Plagueis was his master or whatever, but I knew, I, I think for me, it was like, oh, there's something here. There's a nugget here. And uh, I mean, to that point, like the, the moment has been turned into a widely used meme, you know, like, so there's clearly an idea there that like, this is something even your, your sort of general, you know, fan sort of hooks into for some reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do want to say also before this book came out, uh, probably one of the reasons I kind of, in my head canon <laughs> decided that Darth Plagueis didn't exist is, you know, at the end of this prequel trilogy, spoilers for Star Wars prequels, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, Anakin's love dies. And, uh, you think if, if there was a way to bring someone back and that, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Anakin's mentor here knew how to do it, it would have happened. Well, that's what I think having reread the book re recently is so fascinating about how Lucino approaches this is that he actually sort of answers all of those questions in like a brilliant way in this book. And, uh, and we should mention that what's interesting is 
This book was published in January of 2012. Later in 2012 is when Disney purchased Lucasfilm. So this book was published <laughs> at like a very weird time. Um, you know, and, and it is still to this day widely considered to be the best Star Wars book ever ever written. Um, so, you know, that, that that's not insignificant. Correct me if I'm wrong. When, when Disney and Lucasfilm decided to make episode seven, J.J. Uh, Abrams was getting questions of like, who is the bag? Is it Darth Plagueis? Is Darth Plagueis? And wasn't that that was a huge Snoke theory too? Is that like yeah. a lot of people? Because again, to this point, especially if you're a hardcore Star Wars fan, within the canon, Plagueis has not really been addressed. You know, yeah. it's a big deal. It's a lingering thing, especially when you look at like. I talked about this in the article, but when you look at like Boba Fett now has his own show and you're talking about a guy with a few lines of dialogue and a couple <laughs> minutes of screen time. So relative to Star Wars, the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise is a gigantic thread that hasn't really been pulled. Um, you know, so it's a big deal. So what did this book mean to you? Uh, you know, so I read it years ago, you know, like and, and I remember just being like, oh, cool. You know, because like I like other fans was like, I have questions that I would like answers. And then I think it faded into the background for me because the excitement of Disney buying Lucasfilm, focusing on the movies, focusing on the new books, focusing on like Star Wars Rebels. And, and then the idea that Dis the big important thing is that Disney designated all of the old books as Legends Tales and they're technically no longer canon. So for a while I was like, okay, those are no longer canon. I'm not going to worry about them. And then, it, like, as this anniversary was coming up, I was like, it's really weird that this hasn't been addressed in the new canon. And then, like, rereading the book, I'm like, wow, they should just make this book canon. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's it's it, it's the one book I would take wholesale into canon. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into this, I want to, like, let's step behind the curtain here and get, give some give the Slash Film Daily uh, listeners a look behind the scenes of how, how does a piece like this come together? Because it's not like... It's not like Lucasfilm and Disney are excited to promote this piece of <laughs> of writing. Well, first of all, it's a book. Books don't make much money, number one. Number two, this is a book that's now considered, you know, quote-unquote legends. It's not part of canon, so it doesn't, at this point, mean anything to them in their future. And it's a character that they really don't benefit off of, you know, promoting. So it's not they're, like they're going out to slash them being like, you know, let's let's write a piece about the tenth anniversary of Darth Plagueis. So how does this how does this come together? This is true. Although, uh, as as listeners of the podcast might have learned over the last month or so, I'm a bit business minded, and the only thing I will say real quickly is that uh, <laughs> Disney's purchase price for Lucasfilm was a little over four billion dollars, and uh, this was a couple years ago now. But doing a breakdown of Lucasfilm's earnings. Uh, about a billion dollars of it since the purchase have come from publishing, supposedly. So, books do make a lot of money if you're Star Wars. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, a 10-year-old book, it's not like anyone... But you're, you, you, what you rely on is a fan to be like, I have questions, I want answers. I am that fan, I was that guy. Uh, what is weird is I am a fan who sometimes find myself in a position to, to try to find these answers because of my job. And that's sort of new for me because I didn't get to do a lot of the stuff in my career previously, but Slash Film is very good at, the editors are very good at encouraging us to be like, if you've got an idea, let's go for it. And so I was encouraged um, to to pitch, you know, if I had like some wild idea and I noticed the anniversary was coming up. So um, I, I just was like, hey, what if this? 
and uh, James Lucino has zero online presence. Uh, he's like 75. <laughs> you know, he was like 30 when Star Wars came out. He didn't write his first book until the early 2000s within Star Wars. So, you know, he's not a guy that has like a... So we had to go through like the publisher and this crazy system of trying to get in touch with him. And it was an interesting process of like, how do we make this happen? But we made it happen. You know, luckily the publisher was like, was cool enough to, to connect us to Lucino. And, you know, he was cool enough to answer the questions we had. And then we were able to sort of put that together into this retrospective piece, which wouldn't have meant anything without Lucino's commentary. So, you know, it was just a process of like, you know, getting Lucasfilm to go for it because they kind of have to approve anything that, that is Star Wars related and, you know, getting in touch with this author who has no online presence. And, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I don't know how other things work, but for, for this one, it was pretty interesting in that regard. Yeah. And Lucasfilm has to approve everything. They're not just approving the interview, but after you've done the interview, they're approving the, the, the quotes here. The, because... The, yeah. Because when it comes to Star Wars, they have an enormous brand to protect. And, and the problem yeah. is because fans are so rabid, if you ask a question that gets like a vague answer that can be interpreted some way, people are going to take that and run with it. I understand why Lucasfilm has yeah. to sort of protect that brand. It's frustrating sometimes from like a journalist perspective, but I do sort of get it. So, okay. So you had this conversation with him. Was this over email or was this over the phone? Uh, you know, weirdly, I don't want to like talk about that much Okay, that, okay. Too much to sort of like destroy the mystique of the piece, but like, um, it was essentially coordinating through like a rep and getting to Lucino and going about it that way because okay. you know, like I said, he's a older guy who just has no online presence and and I just <laughs> I don't know if he's ever going to hear this. I doubt it, but he didn't have to do this, and I was so like happy he did. And and beyond that, his answers were like insanely thoughtful and and like insightful, and I was very appreciative of that. Yeah, I feel like authors are some of the best interviewers because they, they've really thought about everything of, of, of the piece and stuff. Um, okay, let's talk about your piece and uh, I don't know what what did you learn here? Like, how how did this book actually come about? Because it's actually, I don't know, it's so interesting that they chose to tell the story in a book when this could have been a movie, this could have been in one of their you know animated series or something like that. Well, you know, but again, you have to, and I talk about this a little bit in the piece, you have to look at the time, right? It's 2012. It's early 2012 when the book is published. At that time, it's before Clone Wars had sort of come in to like officially fill that gap. It's, you know, before the Disney purchase. So you're not maximizing the, the Star Wars brand on every scale that way. So like the logical place to tell this story was in a book, you know, at that time. I think I made a comment in the piece that like, if this happened now, yeah, we'd probably be getting a Star Wars Darth Plagueis Disney Plus series. But, you know, <laughs> the, the the time that it existed in. Um, so as far as, like, how the book came to be, uh, um, as far as James Lucina goes, he's written a ton of Star Wars books. And, and uh, as he explained it to me, um, a lot of his contributions at, up to that point had involved unpacking obscure references in the films, as he put it. So he was sort of uniquely suited to this tale and um at the time a lucasfilm editor uh named sue rostoni i'm not sure if i'm saying that right um had emailed him and just asked the simple question who was darth plagueis and lucino jumped at trying to answer that question and the book was born well it, it, it wasn't actually that simple 
my, my dogs are barking. Sorry about that. No, I was going to say it wasn't that simple because didn't he like write a treatment or something that was actually uh, yes, actually he, he for this? Yeah. So as he put it, uh, his uh, my first outline of the novel was rejected by Lucasfilm for failing to bring out the evil in the character. Um, and then as he went on to say, I was toying with making Plagueis a 3D chess master, among other things, and writing him in first person. Uh, and then, you know, later, you know, so that <laughs> idea is rejected. You know, he goes back to the drawing board and uh, I'm thankful he did because what we got is not that. Uh, it yes. is a, it is a, I don't want to spoil it too much. Cause I, I guess what sort of my hope is that this might encourage some people to go check out the book. Um, and so like, you know, I would really encourage you to do so, but yeah, it's, we did not get a weird story about a 3d chess master. We got an incredibly classic story about the duality of the Sith. Uh, and, uh, yeah. But I think probably the question at the core of this, that many people were probably wondering after seeing the star Wars prequels is the whole cheating death and how yes what that means how that's achieved it was it achieved is it real is it not real so fascinating because that's the whole point right like that's the whole idea like could you know that's the whole hook of this whole thing and what's yeah. interesting is like okay so you go to you know especially before disney purchases lucasfilm the things people get mad about in the prequels one of the biggest <laughs> things people get mad about in the prequels is the midi chlorines yeah and like to James Lucino's credit, dude just leaned into midichlorians in like a huge way in this book. And that is actually like his whole explanation for how Plagueis starts attempting to manipulate the force to be able to cheat death, to be able to achieve immortality. And so at first you start reading the book and as most fans, you maybe eye roll at it when you start realizing like midichlorians are the thing. But he actually adds a ton of context to it that makes it so you're like, oh, I don't mind this. And this makes a ton of sense in context to the book. And uh, he actually, credit to Lucino, he gave me one of my favorite questions, uh, answers to a question I ever asked. Uh, when I asked him about the midichlorians thing, um, his whole answer to it was, uh, midichlorians provided me with the means of grounding Plagueis' search to obtain mastery over life and death, as those terms apply to both the light and dark sides of the Force. I didn't want to rely on magic or psychic ability, so opted for an approach closer to Frankenstein than, say, Doctor Strange. And I loved that sort of explanation <laughs> of it. Because there is, like, the magical, mystical side of the Force, but there is the idea that it is a little bit something that can be mastered in sort of a scientific way. And I sort of love that he took that approach to it. And uh, yeah. How did, What was your feeling on Metachlorians when you, you know, saw the prequels? Well, I think, like... Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Were, were you for or against? Like, it seemed like it was so divisive. Well, look, here's the thing. Phantom Menace came out in 99. I was 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I was stoked Star Wars was back, and I had no, like, I didn't I didn't sort of begin to reevaluate the Phantom Menace till later. So, like, I didn't really think about midichlorians much when I first saw that movie. I was like, oh, shit, Star Wars is back. I'm excited. It was yeah. later that I was like, oh, yeah, it's a little silly. It kind of demystifies the whole idea of, you know, having the force and stuff. And and that, I guess, ultimately leads to the idea of something like Broom Kid at the end of The Last Jedi. That almost seems like a rejection of that notion. But, like, you know, uh, honestly, I didn't think about it till years ago. But, but how, how does Broom Kid... I don't know. I've heard people say that. How does Broom Kid reject that notion because because you're not sort of focusing on like oh look well no but it's not looking at that part of it right like yeah, george yeah. lucas's way in phantom menace is like let's test this kid's blood look he's got a bunch of force stuff in his dna like whereas <laughs> broom kids just like you know this sort of uh 
yeah, unfortunate yeah, yeah. kid on this planet. Oh, no, look, I've got, you know, a little bit of magic in me. I don't understand to get this broom. You know, it does yeah, demystify. It's the whole chosen one versus someone random who can have these right. powers. But for, for me, like, yeah, you're right. When I saw Phantom Menace, you know, I saw it like five times in theater. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, like it. And, didn't it didn't even occur to me later in life it, it kind of bummed me out that like oh to like luke skywalker to me was this kid on this desert you know he was in a, a no one that yeah but ended up he not he wasn't a no one after all so like i guess that doesn't even matter in the end well but, and that um, was like kind of one of the rebuttals against ray but then like because ray turned out to not be no one but like yeah anyway that's a whole thing but yeah yeah but um to me, the Metachlorians, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, because like it, 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 what I came to the conclusion of as a Star Wars fan in my head canon, and I'm sure this is not backed up, but <laughs> is that like you know some people are born with more Metachlorians and some people are born with less, and uh, you know some people are naturally gifted, you know basketball players, you know some people aren't, some people like will put, you know, 12 hours of work in a day and they'll become one of the biggest basketball players of all time. And maybe if I have a, I'm born with a low metachlorian count, maybe that metachlorian count changes. Do you know what I mean? Like based on, it, right. it, it's not like, it's not the, it's not fate. It's, I don't know. I mean, you know, some kid is born on the streets of Mumbai and his struggles are way more than our struggle. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like it's, yeah. It's the it's, idea it's that you that have. He's lesser than. Right. It's the idea that like you can sort of overcome that low mid or midi chlorine count and that in the end might almost make you more the better for it. Uh, and then what's interesting is that is kind of an idea that's played with in this book, even though it's technically not canon, the idea that like <laughs> Plagueis sort of using the dark side learns that you can manipulate midi chlorians to sort of do your bidding and transfer that energy from one person to another and, you know, do these things. So, so th that idea is sort of prescient in this book. Uh, and, and I, and I sort of do actually lean on that same idea that like, you know, we don't necessarily have to talk about the midi chlorians in that way. And like, it can sort of still be a thing that exists in the universe, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, you have a low midichlorian count. You're definitely never going to be a Jedi. Like yeah. my suspicion has always been that like Han Solo was a little force sensitive. So like, he's probably got a little bit like higher midichlorian <laughs> count than like some people, but not like yeah. Jedi level, you know? So like, and like Finn might be a similar argument. Like Finn maybe had a little bit of midichlorian stuff going on and like, but we don't need to talk about it in those terms, I guess. This was the, the demystifying thing for, for some people. And I love that even though it's divisive, they have not let it go like in, uh, I think it's the first season of Mandalorian when they captured Grogu. Who yeah, they the talked about the midichlorian count. Yeah. 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 So um, one of the other interesting things in this article is uh, what Lucasfilm told him he couldn't talk about in this book. Yeah, there was like kind of so. So uh, there are things that I find interesting. And, and uh, so so one of the, I'm sure Star Wars fans will know. The parentage of Anakin Skywalker has always been left a little vague in some ways. Like, he was essentially, like, almost like a miracle birth, sort of like Jesus, in that, like, he was born of the Force. And, um, you know, he had his mom, of course, but no father. And that's always been left intentionally vague. Now, when, uh, in talking to Lucino about, you know, how this came about, um... You know, and sort of asking, like, you know, my, my question to him was, like, how involved was Lucasfilm in the process? 
And so his answer to me was this, and I find this fascinating. Uh, Lucasfilm was always helpful in providing whatever I needed in the way of background material or answers to questions regarding continuity. I'd been thinking about Plagueis from the moment I had an early look at the Revenge of the Sith uh, script. Once I had approval to delve into the character, it was George Lucas who suggested that he should be immune. I was also instructed not to be explicit about the parentage of Anakin Skywalker. So he was that was the one thing he was explicitly told not to do. Uh, even at a time before Disney was controlling Lucasfilm, someone was like, you are not talking about this. And By the way, I, I love that, like, George Lucas, who is in charge of the, you know, he's created this thing. And I'm sure he had more to say, but, like, it seems so weird that his contribution is just, like, what species... <laughs> the character is but, where it's like can you like i don't know it seems like he would give him some sort of vague arc or something and right. it doesn't seem like that is the case with and, and I'm, I'm i might be re reading between the lines here but like when i talk to dave filoni or i hear any of these other authors that worked with him they were giving so much creative control it, it's amazing what notes Lucas put it. But there. what's so interesting though is that is what's weird is having do dove into this book again what's weird is like and I like I don't expect all Star Wars fans to know what like immune is offhand or whatever. But having Lucas say that's the species you should go with, it weirdly informed so much of the character, and like it 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 weirdly did give Lucino like a like a pretty specific jumping off point, and and like it it did you know in like George Lucas's weird way like guide the story more <laughs> than you would think it would have guided the story, and it's kind of interesting you know like that's why I think Lucas not a great director one of the best storytellers of all time you like you know like like fascinating in that respect why do you think lucas wanted to keep anakin's parents like even this many years after you know the prequels were out there you know it seemed like he was at the at, you know at this point he's at the end he's he's ready to almost sell i, I mean i'm sure that came after this was it, it in did motion. yeah 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 but um but do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, why at this point would he still be concerned with revealing or talking about the vagueness of Anakin's parents? Um, my, my, my biggest suspicion is that, like, George Lucas is married to the idea of this being, like, some sort of weird Jesus parable. You know, like, and I don't think he wants that sort of, like, like, much in the same way that, like, a lot of people didn't really want, like, Ray to be, like, a Palpatine. Uh, I imagine George didn't want anyone to be like, oh, here's who Anakin's father is. It sort of demystifies that part of it, I guess. Um, uh, that would be my guess. I don't know. I don't know George Lucas, and I don't know if anyone really knows what goes on in that guy's head, but that'd be my guess. Yeah. I mean, since then, they have done some stuff in, like, the comics. Like, I remember there was this panel that kind of went viral a couple years ago that um, I'm not sure whose point of view it was from, but it was... It showed the immaculate conception, and there was a picture of like Sidious, kind of like in the background, almost as if yeah. insinuating that he was part of that creation. Was was the yeah? And there's this interesting. There's two interesting ideas in Star Wars that sort of are prescient, right? One of them is that history repeats itself, uh, which is sort of why I like that the Force Awakens plays a lot like a New Hope, like more than most people do. And then the yeah. other idea is that quote from Obi-Wan Kenobi that always goes back to is from a certain point of view. One of the great things about Star Wars is that they're actually very good about like 
this is how this unfolded from this person's point of view. There are always different points of view. And so like, you know, from a certain point of view, there are, you know, maybe there's a version of it that, yes, Sidious had his hand in it. And if we want to get real heady about it, and if you've watched Rebels and you watch like the episode of World Between Worlds, maybe there is a weird way in which Sidious had his hand in it. Who knows? But like, yeah, it's like that idea from a certain point of view. Maybe he did. And speaking with uh, from a certain point of view, I know it it's been very very divisive the fact that Disney when Disney bought Lucasfilm it made all these books into legends. But I kind of love that title legends because these are stories that you know it's not like they are they don't exist anymore. It's like Disney could have bought Lucasfilm and then through all the you know stop publishing these story well, i guess yeah. that would make them less money but but right. they could if they just wanted to do their own thing the fact that le- le- they're named legends suggests that like some of these things are true some of them are not and we've seen that with and, like and that's with the rebels idea. and thrawn and you know but like not wholesale right like they're not wholesale true like like the idea of like the heir to the empire trilogy from timothy zahn Maybe not all of that stuff that happened in those books is true, but like Thrawn is a thing and those things did happen. So, but, but, but I will say like, look, the old canon as it existed was a mess. Nothing lined up. Chewbacca got killed by a moon falling on him. Like there is all kinds of weird stuff that like, (laughs) if you have like, and people get mad about it, but like, you have to look at the big picture. If Disney has to say all of this stuff happened, it handcuffs them terribly, you know, in terms of like what you want to do. So, like, I get that. But there are certain stories, and very few of them, I will say, that, like, I think Disney would do well to be like, look, just stay. This is canon because it is. And, I, (laughs) I, I, like, this story has not been addressed elsewhere. Having just reread this book, there's nothing that really contradicts anything that exists in the canon. It's a ridiculously important story. And the one and only thing I did opinion-wise in this article is toward the end I sort of argued that, like, You'd, you'd really do well to just say, like, this is the version of those events and just like say this canon, this book as it exists is canon because I just don't think you're going to improve upon the story. You know, like that's kind of I just don't feel like Disney is going to benefit enough to do that. But that doesn't mean that the story can't come into this world in some way in. No. And when I say that, um, I guess. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, in a movie or TV show. And I'm not saying like Darth Plagueis, the, you know, the miniseries, like it could just eventually be revealed in something like, you know, the Obi-Wan series or whatever, right. like, like the, the information becomes uh, canon. I think sense. that, but I guess that's what I'm saying is like, sure, fine. Maybe you do do a Darth Plagueis Disney series. Maybe you do, as I pitched at one point, eventually do you know like do like a uh, like a star wars anthology series which would be something i would love to see and then like one of those anthology things is the tale of darth plagueis the wise and it is more or less this story as it exists because i don't retelling these events in some other way and like changing it too much you i if there was a way to improve upon it i'm all for it but again having just revisited it i mean jesus it's good you know it really is just like it is just an absolute banger of a Star Wars story, like through and through, and you know, like it, it, it's a lot of those old books that people have like attachments to. I would, I would encourage them to go reread them and really, really question, you know, like are they as good as you remember? Um, this one, I can confidently say, is is good, if not better than you remember. Okay, 
Well, you can read Ryan's whole story. I'll link in the show notes. It's Star Wars and the Tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise 10 years later. Uh, and you can find that on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, every every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular pod- podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.